captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelts. Thank you. 20 memorable journeys, 20 unforgettable matches, two very different journalists. Where do their paths intersect? In the cricket press box. Welcome to Press Box 2020 with Bharat Sundaresan and Anand Vasu. On behalf of the flight crew, thank you for flying with us and have a pleasant stay. Hello and welcome to Press Box 2020 once again and this is the fourth episode. I have with me Bharat Sundaresan as usual. I'm Anand Vasu and today we're going to Johannesburg. And we're going back in time a fair bit as well to 2013, which was uh, an interesting test match even before the first ball was bowled because it was the first time India were playing a major test without their uh, the key components of their Fab Four. No Sachin Tendulkar, no Rahul Dravid, no VVS Lakshman. Um, it was a big test, potentially the beginning of a new era. Um, the way it panned out also turned out to be uh, fitting to the occasion. Bharat, do you remember what the lead up to that test match was? Uh, yeah, I mean, the one day series was, uh, you know, just a case of India being annihilated almost like in every game. Quinton Dickock got 100 in all three ODIs. Uh, fortunately for India, the, the third one at Centurion was washed out. And um, yeah, they got away with a 2-0 result in that one day series and there was a lot of short pitch bowling uh, a lot of talk about how India had been softened up in fact there was uh, some controversy with uh, Supersport uh, allegedly having run a clip with um, you know a, a frozen frame of Virat Kohli having been struck in the ribs by a monomocle um, short ball with a caption which read softened up and there was controversy about how the Indian team management had called the super sport director to their dressing room, asked them to remove the clip, and then later they denied it. Basically, all the drama that comes along with any Indian overseas tour. But this was one uh, unlike any I had known because no Tendulkar, no Dravid, no Lakshman. Uh, of course, Zahir Khan had come back from uh, uh, like after a 12-month break because when he was dropped after the test match against in in England in Calcutta when India lost to them, it looked like it was all over. So he'd come back and he'd made a return in a India A West Indies A match at Shimoga, which we will talk about in the future. One of the one episode that I'm really looking forward to. And uh, and, and, and and yeah, the, all the talk was about short pitch bowling and in like you know India was intimidated. In fact, I remember even practice sessions were all about Dhoni. Uh, for whom this was his 50th test as captain, which made him the most, uh, which actually went past Ganguly uh, in this test match in terms of most number of test matches captain for an Indian. And he was busy with the sidearm, dishing out bouncers, and it, it, it was all happening. It was all about, in a way, it was like any Indian tour to, say, the Southern Hemisphere, where all the talk is about bounce and extra bounce. and But this was just, like, you know, taken up a notch purely because India, the Indian top order had a combined experience of just 42 matches and it was very young and I was very young. 2013 seems like a long time ago, Anand Vasu. 
and uh, i'm surprised that you remember that uh, one day series because it's easily one of the most forgettable ones in terms of not that it was yeah. boring but because almost nothing good happened for india and you're right in uh, when it rained in that third one day uh, it was finally relief from uh, quinton de kock i remember there was an interesting press conference uh, that day as well when um, uh, it was suggested that uh, de kock was a bit lucky <laughs> um to have got those runs because some you know sometimes he plays uppishly doesn't go to hand he does uh, take his chances and i think uh, it is uh, a journalist had asked ishan sharma before that whether you know dikok had been a bit lucky and ishan not being perhaps the best at uh, reading what the intent of the question was said yes uh, he was lucky at times and in the typical way that journalists try to twist these things it was put to decock saying are you lucky and a lot of people thought he would get angry or he would get irritated considering he had scored 300s in three matches but he said yes of course i've been lucky uh, we all need a little bit of luck when you're batting and uh, so that's one day series was so forgettable but it, I, there was something else i think that i'm trying to forget i don't know if my mind is playing tricks there was a warm up match before the test was it at benoni or was it at pochafstrom it was it was one of those uh, it was out of joburg but it was still not very far from joburg where was that uh, one day game i think it was uh, wasn't that the time they just had like a extended outdoor net the indian team by themselves it wasn't really a match versus someone else but this big indian squad were just simulating a match by themselves was that benoni or was it pochafstrom I'm not surprised you don't remember much about it because the match never happened. It was not even supposed to be a one-day game. It was supposed to be a two-day game in Benoni, uh, India's only warm-up. And if you remember, there had been a lot of drama leading up to that series at a, at an administrative level. The BCCI had issues with uh, Cricket South Africa, Harun Logart in particular, and the sh- it was a very cramped schedule. They played all the matches with the, just between Johannesburg, Centurion, and Durban, um, and. Yeah, this game was originally supposed to be in Peter Maritzburg, but had been shifted to Benoni. And uh, I remember we all got into and Benoni is an interesting place. It's it's kind of cut off from Johannesburg. Uh, you, I remember you get get onto the highway, highway he- heading towards Centurion, then just take a right somewhere and head towards Benoni, which and the ground was in literally in the middle of nowhere. And a bunch of us got uh, to Benoni. we went there on the preview day as well where there was nothing it was just a lot of rain uh, there had been a lot of rain in like throughout that tour up to then and um, yeah there was no uh, the indians weren't very happy with uh, the facilities there or the pitch conditions and mainly it had to do with the weather uh, and we went back the day after for the game uh, only to find that you know the match had been called off india weren't interested anymore but I'm sure you would remember the feast that was laid out for us in um, uh, one of those pavilion uh, boxes, and there was champagne, there was outstanding meat, uh, which is what you get all around South Africa. We don't talk about meat on this podcast these days because Anand Vasu has turned vegetarian since. Uh, but the, the uh, yeah, that's one thing that really stands out for me from uh, that trip to Benoni, the food, and uh, of course, the journey back. I don't eat meat any longer but I'm more than happy to talk about it. I yeah, it, I don't think being vegetarian means that you can't even talk about meat. But yes, I do remember that spread. I think they were kind of expecting a lot more people than uh, eventually turned up and because the game was cancelled in the rain, pretty much everyone left apart from maybe uh, half a dozen of us Indian journalists. And so um 
there was a big spread laid out for us but yes i do remember that journey mainly because i think it was some kind of like shared uh transport on the way back and uh, it, i more than anything else I remember getting dropped off at park station uh in joburg and it was not a part of uh, joburg that i was particularly familiar with and uh you hear all the stories about how unsafe joburg is you're always told that you don't walk anywhere you always kind of looking over your shoulder and uh, even though it was in the middle of the day and bright sunshine there was a bit of an edge i have to say it doesn't help that you look like a tourist and stick out with your backpack or just a laptop in it probably a camera and you know uh, you dressed more for a press conference than uh, to be doing any kind of actual business at the park station i don't think it's so much the fault of the place as um, you know the kind of mindset that you go into it with especially the horror stories that you're told uh to be honest with you i've never had a bad experience in joburg so far but still that fear factor was very much in play at that time and that's where we come back to uh how different we are as individuals because you speak of fear factor and uh, the horror stories yeah i'd heard about them as well and i think this this was might have been your second or third visit there it was just my first visit there I've only ever been to south africa that one time and i'd heard about all these tales i remember one day i was walking on the street speaking to my boss on the phone and he said what are you doing you are not supposed to do that in joburg put your phone in your pocket and don't walk around but all that did was um rile up the sense of adventure that rests within me all which is at times can border on foolishness but um i remember i was making the most of all this talk of not being outside i i, I remember we would walk um, siddharth monga and i would go out at night uh not so much to savor the night life really we used to go out for pizza and uh, some ethiopian food and all that but it was uh yeah and i i didn't never really felt like i said you you're safe till you're not safe and in these kind of scenarios and um i never experienced any of that and i was i enjoyed that um, car ride and we were dropped off at in jobe park i remember where uh, a lot of people say you generally don't uh, want to venture with like you, as you said with a laptop and camera and all that uh, and maybe i just didn't look like a tourist maybe that's what uh, i had going for me yeah i think there are some of us who are scared and there are some of us who are scary <laughs> so um, you might have a bit of an edge in that context i suppose a lot of it is down to mindset if you yourself are not fearful then your body language is different you don't exude that kind of um, you don't make yourself a target i think in it took me time but in subsequent years i've kind of learned uh, to uh, not let that irrational fear stop me from doing you know basic normal things uh, i think a lot of it also comes from what we are told and what we hear from others uh, we so if you speak to different people if you speak to people who are not fearful then your uh, whole approach your whole outlook is different and then you can actually enjoy the place because if you think about it if you are scared it's not like the city loses out it's not like joburg loses out not like park station loses out the only person who's missing out is you because you're sitting in a room locked up too scared to explore one of the great cities in the world uh, i'm fortunate that uh, 
like in my third or fourth trip i finally um, had the good sense not to just listen blindly to um, you know all the stories of crime and um, violence and there is crime and violence in every big city in the world at the moment i don't think you can be any safer in bangalore um, or london or adelaide uh, than joburg it's just which part of the city you're in what time of the day it is and also a slice of luck but let's get back to this test match that we're supposed to be talking about and uh, india didn't have very much luck starting off uh, typically it began badly india traditionally begin overseas tours badly i think both openers were gone pretty cheap as not even 25 runs on the board which is when uh, we got one of the early looks at uh, the genius of virat kohli how do you remember that innings that first innings century that he made yeah there there had been a lot of talk about kohli and the short ball leading up to that test match i remember doing an interview with ray jennings where he said uh, who had coached him in the early days of rcb and he spoke about uh, how it'll be a big test and how um, virat kohli was very good against spin at that point and how he might struggle against the short ball it uh, and i had seen virat kohli make his debut in the caribbean in 2011 where he was rattled by the short ball fidel edwards came around the wicket and uh, uh, yeah to the extent that kohli was dropped for the uh, subsequent tour of england just imagine that virat kohli being dropped and uh, i mean you wouldn't think so at this point but it did happen like it happens with a lot of great batsmen uh, and yeah everything was about can virat kohli you know deal with the short ball can india deal with the short ball like we uh, spoke earlier the whole the, the practice sessions were all designed around it uh, and you know and both vijay and shikhar dhawan india's 13th opening combination i think in 12 test matches in south africa uh, were tested by the short ball and though they didn't perish to the short ball itself but they had been rattled and they'd been taken out and to, for starters just you know number 4 in an overseas tour to see someone not tendulkar walk out was of course something very unique uh something new and uh that number 4 was such a coveted spot like you know it always has been in test cricket but especially in an indian cricket sense because tendulkar had occupied it for what 24 years um and very early on in that innings i remember kohli played a pull shot of zak callis to get off the mark and that kind of set a set the tone for the rest of his innings there was one pull shot i distinctly remember of dale stain who was bowling at full tilt this was the dale stain of 2013 and he he pulled him and the ball kind of hit the fence at deep backward square leg before dale stain had finished his follow through also tells you the pace at which the ball came at kohli and the pace at which it left his bat uh and that and dale stain was a little was slightly rocked by that because that's not what you expected from indian teams uh, especially this young indian team uh, who'd been thrashed in the odis the morale seemed to be down and that really set the tone and yeah i mean we spoke in our last episode about kohli's uh, innings in adelaide but this was by far technically speaking a much more challenging innings he left the ball wonderfully as well he went through a period where he left 27 balls in Uh, of the 60 he'd faced in that period which uh you w- wouldn't expect from a virat kohli at that point was all about aggression and uh yeah it it really was his coming of age very 
cliched and often used expression in cricket, but it was definitely is coming of age. With all of that Crowley brilliance, though India made only two hundred and eighty, which is again not you know not the best way to start. You want to put three fifty on the board to, in the old mindset, to at least ensure there's some safety in the Test match. But the good thing is India's bowling more than made up for it. South Africa only got to two forty four, and even that was you know Vernon Philander making fifty nine at the end of the order. Um, it looked at one stage as though India were all over South Africa. There was Zahir Khan coming back. Um, into the team and trying to find himself. I remember he bowled in fairly long spells during this game, uh, something that he had not, uh, something that was not expected of him. And Ishan Sharma as well, still young, still learning, though he had had a fair few test matches under the belt. What do you remember of that uh, bowling performance as a group from the Indian bowlers? Yeah, you speak of Zaid Khan and, uh, and his long spells. It was almost... Uh, his way of proving his fitness that he still had it. He was 35 by this time. And uh, and that whole, his comeback trail was, uh, had started with that India A series against West Indies where he bowled a lot in long spells. And uh, of course, once uh, the test match began or the build-up to it began, there was this press conference where uh, he was asked about the inevitable question about Graham Smith and the hold he seemed to have over him. And I remember him saying, I think I just have to turn up. It, maybe he said it in jest, but he never used the term I'm kidding at any point after he said it. And it was true. He did get um, Graham Smith out again in that first innings. After troubling him, there was this LBW shot very early on in Graham Smith's innings, which he uh, survived. Uh, but he did get his man. And yeah, I mean, Ishan Sharma at that point... Uh, he had an interesting test career. He'd had an te- interesting test career already. It was what six years, um, in the uh, six years in, and he he said in an interview, uh, I think two years prior, in the Caribbean, to me and uh, Sri Ramvira about how, uh, of course, renowned cricket journalist Sri Ramvira about how uh, he had lost his way by aping Zahir Khan, like by trying to do everything Zahir Khan was doing, and he lost his way as a result of that. But this was this looked like a new Ishan Sharma. He'd taken four wickets in that reined-off ODI and Centurion, and looked like he was coming back, or he had found his length finally. You know, he'd been around. There's so much talk about how he could never get the find the right length overseas, but it looked like he had done that. And uh, I remember, like the Ishan Sharma you see now, we saw glimpses of it anyway uh, in that in that test. But yes, of course it. This is also the first overseas test for Mohammad Shami, who had burst onto the scene a month prior during the Tindulkar farewell series. Um, and he had a very good one-day series as well, had uh, Shami, uh, despite the losses in South Africa. And this was him proving that overseas, he, was your, he would eventually become your go-to man in terms of taking wickets. So 244 South Africa made in response to India. And then it was a simplified situation for India, really. There was plenty of time left in the test match. So what they first wanted to do was bat as long as possible. And um, the man who generally gets asked to do that stepped up again, Pujara with 153. I think in the course of that innings, he crossed 2,000 runs for the year. He was batting at a different level. But again, it was Kohli who uh, kind of grabbed all the eyeballs, as he does. 
Uh, he made 96 and came really close to becoming the first batsman to score 200s in a test match at uh, at the Wanderers. It's not just the first overseas batsman. He would have been the first batsman to do it, which would have been incredible given all the talk about India's batting abroad, especially in South Africa, against a quality bowling attack where the kind of weak link was Jacques Hallison. He's an exceptionally good bowler in those conditions. Uh, you know, with the swing, bounce, and and it, there was really nowhere to hide for the batsman then. And Kohli again stamping himself. Uh, India eventually made 421 and setting South Africa like a record chase of 458. But uh, those two innings, Pujara and Kohli. Yeah, and uh, you speak of Pujara being the guy who you would want to bat for your life. Uh, oh, that that's what you would say about him in the present climate. But back then, um, he earned a reputation of being this, like, not just prolific, but uh, a master of scoring runs in the subcontinent. But he'd never scored a 100 overseas. And he'd made a tour. Uh, he was on the South African tour of 2010 when he scored 30 runs in three innings. So he really did have a point to prove. And... Uh, Again, we speak of uh, number four being coveted. So was number three. And this was the first overseas test without uh, Rahul Dravid occupying that spot. And, uh, you know, the comparisons between Dravid and Pujara, as unfair as they might be, have always uh, lingered around, even before Pujara made his debut. Uh, so, uh, it, it, like, yeah, there was a lot on the line for Pujara because, like, you know, it was all about... Can he, will he, does he have it in him to score runs uh, overseas? Especially in South Africa where he had failed before. So, uh, getting coming into that second innings, and he'd been unfortunately run out in the first innings. So, uh, there wasn't much to take away from that. Uh, the stage was set for someone to bat long, like you said. Pujara did it, and that was also one of the first times we saw Pujara and Kohli combine and... Uh, you know, do what Dravid and Tendulkar did for so many years, uh, uh, you know, in Test cricket overseas. And kind of, that was the formation of the new backbone of Indian cricket. I mean, whether it was the birth of the new Tendulkar or Dravid or the new wall and the new genius, well, that uh, is really up to uh, everyone's, like, you know, take on it. But I just think it was India again playing without fear. And to the extent that I remember... Virat Kohli coming to the press conference uh, after day two, after his first innings 100. And uh, uh, I don't know why I know this, because I should have ideally have been at the press conference, but I think I was a little late coming in. And I remember seeing Robin Jackman, Kepler Vessels, and a few other former senior South African cricketers um, stand around the television and listen to him, because this was a new India almost, like the whole talk about fearlessness and intent and stuff that, you hear, or you are more commonplace now, but this was the first time you were hearing an Indian uh, test team, especially, talk about all these things. And of course, it helped that India, the century from Pujara, and I remember a celebration. It wasn't as usual; just uh, raise his bat and almost sheepishly look up at the skies, like you know, he like not really. Uh, enjoying the whole attention on him but this was different he punched the air there was this uh i'm sure because it was pujara it wasn't a cuss word that escaped his mouth but there was this real sense of uh breaking free almost of maybe 
all the talk about his uh, limitations uh, against the short ball and just batting overseas had gone to him as well. And uh, Kohli, yeah, and for that world record, uh, like a record to be uh, thwarted by J.P. Dumini, <laughs> I don't think he would have enjoyed Because if you remember, uh, for all, South Africa weren't at their best as a bowling attack. Maybe the, the conditions got to them. Maybe the pitches, pitch did have a lot of spice in it. Uh, maybe they got carried away. Alan Donald did say that he was the bowling coach of South Africa at that point, I remember. But Imran Tahir and JP Dumini were like the pressure releases for um, India in both innings. And for the second innings to fall to uh, JP Dumini, I think I'm sure Kohli wouldn't have enjoyed that. Whether he enjoyed it or not, he eventually left South Africa with 458 for a target. It began well enough. Um, Graham Smith, Alviro Peterson had put on a 100-run opening stand. But then, slowly but surely, the momentum kind of shifted India back into the game. And they were four down for 197, with Jacques Callas also gone, uh, with 458 on the board. Suddenly, it looked like... Uh, it was all India's game. It was only a matter of a couple of breakthroughs. A.B. de Villiers and Faf du Plessis at the crease. Nobody was talking at that stage about South Africa winning the game yeah. because their uh, record run chase and ODIs and all that notwithstanding, yeah. Yeah. 458 in the fourth innings of a test match, you're not going to see that happen very often. But slowly but surely, as the runs kept getting scored... It seemed like it wasn't just the Indian players, but uh, some of the journalists in the press box, including yourself, seemed to start uh, feeling the pressure a little bit. <laughs> I think I started feeling the pressure the previous evening because this was almost the first time in a long time that India had set this massive, uh, insurmountable target almost uh, in front of the home team. And like you said, targets of 400 and 450, anything about 350, Every time there is a target set like that, people think, oh, someone will do it. All you need is to get to 200 without uh, the loss of more than two wickets and you'll get there. But there's a reason that they don't get chased on too often because it's not that easy. It's not one-day cricket because even if you are 300 uh, for three and chasing 450, if you lose two wickets, you're you're really on the back foot and you your mindset immediately turns towards a draw. And you're right, the pressure on me built up the previous evening when I got calls from India from my uh, then boss about how I should start planning for um, uh, like a marathon effort, like, you know, write, uh, maybe I would have to write four pieces, one for page one, one for page 20, one for page 21, just about this famous Indian win because it would have, it would have been like not just against the odds, it and it would just have been the greatest start Indian cricket could have imagined to this new chapter in the post-Tendulkar era. Uh, and it, it looked like it was headed that way. Like, you know, so often we've seen um, run chase or like fourth innings run chases start off at a brisk pace like Smith and Peterson, like the way they did. Then tap, tap, two wickets fall. Uh, and suddenly, like, you know, it, the, it's the batting team with their backs against the wall and trying to save the test. The mindset changes, like I said. And uh, it gives an opportunity to the bowling team, in, especially in those conditions, to go really, um, like, almost put, grab a hold of them and, like, you know, just push them, like, further and further, further into that wall. And that's what it looked like it was happening before, like you said, De Villiers and Duplessis came together. 
and uh, india were trying to uh, do what they usually do best you know once the runs are on the board there's four fielders around the bat get the spinners going and the pitch was doing a little bit uh, but surprisingly enough it seemed like duplessis and devilliers didn't really feel the pressure they didn't get into that block only mindset they didn't also over attack they just kept working the singles they, they say that in these situations you should try and bat normally try and just bat as though there's no target there's no scoreboard just enjoy your time out in the middle which is of course very hard to do because the mind starts playing all kinds of tricks on you but on the day both of them seem to have their minds in exactly the right place and they got south africa within touching distance really when the two of them were dismissed 16 runs uh, only uh, needed and even that dismissal of duplessis took a piece of brilliant fielding from rahane uh, it was playing only his second test match at the time uh, and he had shown glimpses of his fielding before his safe catcher and all of that but it not the kind of person you expect to pull off a jonty roads moment like he had kind of one stump to aim at it was a hard fast throw uh, literally nailed it it was almost like when india were searching for ideas when they were wondering how are we going to you know get past this guy uh, it, it was rahane imposing himself the quietest guy probably in the team mm. imposing himself on the moment and uh, putting india ahead in so 16 left to win but not very much batting to come um uh, that was yet another time when the game swung we will talk about how the draw kind of affected both the teams and their uh, mindset in this match but what was your feeling uh, when uh, it was just 16 to go and the big guns were finally dismissed yeah and the intensity had been turned up quite a bit from 24 hours prior to that because we'd seen kohli and dhoni bowl at the south african top order and i remember it was this bizarre period of play the light uh, like there was fears of players going off for bad light uh, ashwin had been bowling i think dhoni gave vijay an over and then suddenly for a brief period of 5 or 10 overs you had kohli and dhoni bowling alternately and every time dhoni bowled kohli kept wickets and then they would swap keeping gloves and kohli would bowl so you were even wondered like was this even serious cricket anymore and like you know fast forward 24 hours and bef- before the the two of them were dismissed there was a point i remember when south africa needed just 56 in 13 overs with duplessis and devilliers well set well past their sent like you know individual hundreds and the game had shifted completely from that morning i mean there was i would uh, i will admit sense of relief relief in the sense that at least i didn't have the pressure of writing about uh this great like you know this monumental win which would have meant i would have been busy till the wee hours of the morning uh and maybe for a few days uh, on from there but yeah when when de villiers and domini got out in quick succession and and rahane there's this f- um st- anecdote i've heard about rahane from that test match was baptism by fire uh in the first innings he'd been uh, hit hit in the ribs by dale stain uh bouncer and and like you know obviously young rahane trying to uh like you know stand his ground did not even flinch he just like kept looking back at stain who stared back at him but apparently as stain turned around and started walking back to his mark he started rubbing it and zack alice and graham smith shouted out from the slip cord and saying look he's rubbing it he's rubbing it so you know it, it did not been a fun test match for rahane till that point and just yeah like you said to pull off a run out like that and at that point it looked like 
oh oh wait 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 like you know is the momentum turning one more time like you know is is india suddenly back in the game we spoke about the adelaide test being dramatic towards the end but this was just in terms of how the pendulum kept swinging a lot more dramatic because suddenly you felt well could this uh be india's moment again and personally i started feeling very stressful again and people looking at that scorecard back in time will wonder exactly what happened because you know just 16 runs to win uh, why did south africa not go for it why did india not go for it you know there was still india were ahead of the curve for once having bowled you know one extra over when the mandatory overs began uh, and finally with still one over left to play in the game the two teams shook hands and walked off uh, the fact was though that uh Monty Markle was injured and he would only bat he had a very bad ankle injury and he would only bat if required Imran Tahir not really much uh yeah. with the bat whether it's scoring runs or even surviving a few tight overs in that situation so Dale Stain and uh Vernon Philander out in the middle they had that chat and decided to shut shop i remember in the press conference afterwards people asking you know whose decision was it did it come from the dressing room was it and it was the two batsmen out in the middle who had to make that judgment call and i think uh, you can't fault the south african batsmen although at that time they were uh, under a bit of fire kind of why would why were you not why did you not go for the win and similarly from the other side there were questions being asked of india why did they not push on why did they not try and um, you know seal the deal i think uh, this was one of those really interesting times when the draw plays such a big factor in the test match we spoke about this when we talked about the adelaide test match in which virat kohli when he was leading for the first time then in looking to stamp himself chose not to even look for the draw instead you know saying either i'll win this or i'll lose it i don't care if i lose this but i'm not going to play defensively and play for the draw now here was a case where both the teams were in with a chance to win the game both teams were in with a chance to lose the game as well and it was only because that draw was still up in the air because there is a possibility of a draw that we got the result um, the tight finish and that tense end i think that happened because if for uh, just for the sake of fancy suppose there was no such thing as a draw suppose such a result was not possible and you had to either win or lose if south africa had gone for the win there's every chance that they would have lost trying to play a few too many shots much earlier in the day much earlier in the innings they would have tried to force the pace to score the runs at a uh, at a certain clip in order to give themselves the chance to do so and they could well have lost wickets similarly if india uh, you know were in a situation where if they did not bowl south africa out by the end of the day they were going to be the losers their approach would have been different i think this is one of the beautiful things about having a draw in test cricket a lot of the time these draws can be very dull boring affairs especially in the subcontinent when the pitches go very flat sometimes when a pitch doesn't deteriorate as you expect it to the draw can become very boring basically a first innings uh, batting fest one team scores 550 second team scores 650 kind of thing but this was not one of those this was one of those test matches in which i think the draw was a great result yeah i mean often draws are equated with stalemates this there was nothing stale about this game and you're so right it was the perfect ending to 
uh, almost a near perfect test match and uh, you know the, you couldn't separate the two teams in the end which is a fair fight and that's what test cricket is that's why people who don't get why after 5 days of action there is no winner uh they're the same people who enjoy watching boxing and other f- forms of um like you know martial arts or any other s- kinds of sports where um there there is no winner you can't pick a winner and this was like just the perfect perfect example of that and you spoke of grem smith's press conference virat kohli also uh like you know we also saw you spoke about his batting in depth we also saw glimpses of the virat kohli press conference to an extent uh after that game finished what we would come we get accustomed to where he would always uh, have um interesting takes uh with regards to the opposition and i remember he said uh, you know he said i think certainly they didn't play like a team that had been wanting to win the game which yeah i mean we speak of perfect results and it was i think his uh little pot shot at south africa considering there was another test match left in that series and uh, but yeah i mean he might have just said it, it to get under their skin which uh, i'm sure he did but uh more so i think we all en- ended up very happy with the result we had lots to write about anyway but the one thing that i was really looking forward to at the end of each day's play during the test match was running back to the press box uh before the last like but but when the press conference was ending just because the fridge in the press box would be filled with free castle lagers uh, not the best beer in the world of course but when it's free it's always tastes much better yes and also there's something very civilized about you know sitting and watching a whole day's cricket having done the active part of the day in terms of a journalist's work which is watching the cricket uh, following it taking notes speaking to people going to the press conference and then you go you sit down for the act act of writing i mean it's different for broadcasters and radio people and uh, things like that but for a journalist who's trying to wrap up the day's play to write about it uh, in that press box to sit there the grounds emptied out everyone's gone home the players have disappeared and now all that's left is for you to sit and write and uh, never any harm in having a cold one um, to sip on while you do that i I did also go out into the stands during uh, play more than once and there's quite a selection of delights <laughs> I must say I think it, it was with you that we went and uh, yeah, discovered those excessively unhealthy extremely hot occasionally even spicy potato twirls that you seem to thrive on Oh yeah you've you've put me in quite a mood right now because now they've become quite like i see them everywhere i've even seen them in uh, my beloved ghatkopar uh, before i left home but yeah those potato twirls and um, they were hot and very salty as well you spoke about them being spicy but just generally the quality of food uh, uh, around johannesburg like i remember andichio's pizzas which was open like 24 hours where you could choose your own ingredients and toppings Oh that's that, that was worth all the risk in the world just to walking down uh just for like you know walking down the street from the wanderers after the game was done to dig into one of those and but yeah like you said even around the ground if you remember the catering was uh like we had to walk down from the press box and uh into a little room but there was so many distractions on the way yes the food that was offered to us was very good even in the 
uh, catering area. But yeah, but it, you didn't mind like spending some of uh, uh, your own rand uh, to to like yeah, to get, like just soak in like the variety of um, cuisines you get in South Africa. It's just a blend of so much. Obviously, when we speak about Durban, we'll get into the whole uh, uh, Indian influence on South African food. But yeah, but those potato twirls. I don't like. I think we had maybe like three a session or so. Well, I wasn't keeping count, and thankfully there are no statistics recorded of such things. But trust you, Bharat Sundaresan, just as you approach your on-field stuff, even while there is a buffet there, you want to go looking for something more, try to find something different, try to find something extra, try to find something new. Doing that with uh, food as well as your writing, I see. And I think you'll have quite a buffet to feast on in our next episode when we go to... Sachin Tendulkar's final test match. More words have been written about that and um, spoken about and watched on YouTube and photos and all of that um, than probably any other test match given the time that it came in. But we will still add our um, two cents, five rupees worth when it comes to it. Thank you very much for listening to this uh, episode of Pressbox 2020 and we will see you in episode five. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes and wherever else you get your podcast from. Hit download, subscribe and don't forget to give us a 5-star rating if you think we've earned it. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pressbox2020. That's Pressbox2020.